You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our text this afternoon, the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 22 concerning the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. We have a number of readings, and if you look on your liturgy sheet, You'll see that this afternoon and for this afternoon's sermon, there are four points. Each one of these readings corresponds to each one of those points in the order that we will go through them. So we begin then with just a number of verses from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we'll read the verses 21 through 23. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now we'll turn to Job chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. Oh, that my words were recorded that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. We turn back to the New Testament to John chapter 17. We see John recording a present eternity as he records the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, the first five verses. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted Him authority over all people that He might give eternal life to all those you have given Him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. We turn to our last reading, which is from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 15 through 22. Although you have been forsaken and hated, with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob, Instead of bronze, I will give you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stone. I will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, Nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. 
Your sun will never set again and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Then will all your people be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism in regards to the last two articles of the Apostles' Creed concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Let's read that together. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this, my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the church is to be a place of comfort, a comforting place, a place where people gather together, where believers gather together to mourn with those who mourn, to share words of hope and encouragement alongside, as the Apostle Paul mentions all of those in Romans 12. The church operates according to the principle that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul praises the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. As we receive comfort from God, so we are able as Christians to bring comfort to others. And the place that that happens is in the church. In that letter, Second Corinthians, Paul goes on to speak about some of the difficulties that he and the other disciples and apostles have experienced. And they have learned through difficulty to be comforted. They know what it is to experience the comfort that the God of all comfort gives to them. Paul seems to be saying that no matter what the circumstance, no matter how, how hard the things are that you're going through, the believer always has comfort. There is always comfort for the person who has faith in God because God is the one who supplies us with comfort. And so we come to a Lord's Day this afternoon all about comfort. In fact, we come to a confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is all about comfort. It's been called the Book of Comfort. You probably know that Lord's Day 1 begins with those famous, that famous question, what is your only comfort in life and death? Well, that's, it's that I'm not my own, but I belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, 
Jesus Christ. And in the last two Lord's Days, as we've considered Lord's Day 20 and 21, we've considered the reality that we have in the church of belonging to Jesus Christ, that we belong to Him, that we're united with Him through the Holy Spirit, and that in being united with Him, we are united with His church. We are united as brothers and sisters, the communion of saints, and we are united with His atoning blood. And so we come to the last two articles of the Apostles' Creed. And we go then back to that very first theme of the catechism, the catechism of comfort. We come full circle. It is because we are united with Jesus Christ that we have comfort. Deep, true, meaningful comfort, no matter what happens in life or in death. And a huge component of the comfort that we have in being united with Jesus Christ is the future that is guaranteed for us through Jesus Christ. The future that He guaranteed for us by His death and resurrection. The future that includes the bodily resurrection from the dead. Our own bodies will be raised from the dead. And a future of everlasting life. Perfect blessedness in which to praise God forever. And so this afternoon we consider the biblical testimony to the deep comfort that is before us in our catechism. The comfort of the resurrection of the dead and life everlasting. And as mentioned, we'll look at several passages to see the, see what the biblical authors inspired by the Holy Spirit have spoken of in this regard. First of all, as Paul considers a near reality, a near reality of going to be with Christ. And then we'll consider Job confessing a future hope so many years before the Apostle Paul. Job saw beyond the time that Paul was speaking of to a future hope. We'll see that John, in recording the words of Jesus, speaks about an eternity that begins already now in the life of the believer. And also that Isaiah so many years before John, spoke of a future, an incomprehensible destination for those who belong to Jesus Christ. So first of all, Paul considers a near reality. Lord's Day 22, question answer 57, begins, the answer begins by saying, not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head. And that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking of in Philippians 1. The first comforting reality of the resurrection is this, that we don't have to wait for the resurrection of the body in order to be with Christ. Yes, the resurrection is a profound comfort. But right alongside that future hope that we'll speak about in the next point, God's Word teaches us that we don't spend a certain amount of time in a confusing limbo, not knowing where we are. Are we with Christ? Are we not? No, but rather, our soul is immediately upon death, taken up to be with Christ, its head. When you belong to Christ, you are with Him forever. There is no break in between. Why don't you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and we'll see what the Apostle Paul is speaking about there. Philippians 
Philippians 1, the verses that have our attention, especially are 21 through 23. And as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he is a prisoner, most likely in Rome. And at this moment in writing the letter, he is, you might say, considering his options. Or maybe more properly put, he's considering his options. His options. I say options because Paul realized that it wasn't really his options. He knew that his life was at all times in the hands of God and that God would direct it where he wanted. But Paul is in prison and he knows that his present circumstance is very troubling for the people in Philippi. They're concerned about what's going on with Paul. They're concerned about what's going to happen with Paul. And so Paul is going to lead them through this process of considering the point that he is at, where it's not sure, where it's not clear whether it's going to end with life or with death for him. And he's going to show them that no matter what option is chosen, it is good. He's okay. He's comforted. That's Paul's intention here as he writes to the Philippians. He is comforting them. He wants to comfort them to show them that he is okay. And then also for they, as they face persecution or trials of different kinds, no matter what happens, it's okay for them as well. Paul begins in this section at verse 18b. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He says he has every reason to rejoice no matter what. Why? Well, because being helped by the prayers of the Philippians and being carried on by the Holy Spirit, he has ultimate hope, whether in life or in death. Think about that for the Philippians. Think about how they would have received that. In life or in death, Paul's going to rejoice. No matter what, yes, he's going to continue to rejoice no matter what happens. How is that possible? Well, Paul explains. He says that now as always, verse 20, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is comforted because for him to live is Christ. And what could be better than that? And to die is gain. Or you might understand him saying, because for Paul to live is Christ, because he's united with Christ in his life even now, therefore, his death is gain. When to live is Christ, then To die is gain. This is the point, and it comes in verse 23. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ. That's what happens when you die. When you depart, you be with Christ. When you are united to Christ in this life, then when you die, you immediately go to be with Him. When you are united with Christ, you are united with Him without break. Not even death 
Paul says in Romans 8, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In fact, in death, you go to be with him in his presence. striking how different a body looks after death when the life and the spirit is gone from it. But when that person confessed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior in this life, even though our experience is a break, a separation, a painful one, Yet between that believer and their Lord, there is no break. There is no separation. They continue to be with him. In fact, they go to be with him in an even closer way. Paul says, even when my body dies, I will continue to live. In fact, what is it to die and be with Christ? Paul says, it's better by far. Paul will go on to share with the Philippians that he doesn't believe that he will die, but rather that he'll remain in the body so that he can work fruitfully for the Philippians. But the key point has been made. Paul has made his point. Through faith in Christ, he's comforted by the near reality of being with Christ through the present reality of being united with him already in this life. When your life is Christ, when you are united with Christ in life, then your death is gain because you get to be with him. It is much better, greater, as Paul says there in Philippians. It's better by far. When Christ is your life, then as the hymn says, there is no guilt in life and no fear in death. That's the power of Christ in me. That's the near reality of death and the comfort that comes with it. But there's even more. Let's turn to Job chapter 19. Page 811. The near reality of being in the presence of Christ does not in any way diminish the reality, the hope, and yes, the comfort of the future hope of the resurrection. A long time before Paul wrote those words to the Philippians, Job confessed his hope in a future bodily resurrection in which he would be able to stand on the earth in the flesh and see his Redeemer in a renewed state. Now, like Paul, Job confessed this reality under difficult circumstances. In fact, to simply call them difficult circumstances does not really do justice to his situation. Job had recently lost ten children, seven sons, and three daughters who were all killed in one terrible storm as their house collapsed on top of them. His flocks... All his flocks had been consumed by fire. His working animals, his cattle and other working animals, had been killed and stolen by raiding parties of foreign enemies. Job's own wife, in her grief, 
urges Job to reject the God whom, by all accounts, as far as she can tell, has already rejected him. And then to add insult to profound injury and loss, Job's own friends come to him in his grief and loss. Not to comfort him, but to attack his integrity. And so it is the midst of this profound struggle that Job speaks these words in chapter 19. And if you look at the verses above our reading here in verse 23, you get a sense of the deep suffering and and disorientation that Job is experiencing. He says that God has blocked him off in verse 7, verse 8. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He says that God has stripped him of honor. He tears me down on every side till I'm gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. He claims that God has taken away his friends, his dignity, everything. Verse 20, I am nothing but skin and bones. I've escaped with only the skin of my teeth. But yet, even in this present distress, Job can confess his future hope. As he says in verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Job confesses that he will see his Redeemer with his very own eyes, not the eyes of someone else, his own eyes, in his own body, in his own flesh. He will see his Redeemer standing on the earth, this earth that we stand on now. What hope is Job confessing? He's confessing the hope of the resurrection of the dead. He understands the promises that had been given to Adam and Eve. He knows that a Redeemer is coming, that God had promised it, and God is a God who is faithful to His Word. He knows that a Redeemer is coming and that this Redeemer will vindicate all who believe in Him, will redeem body and soul, will redeem the entire world that has fallen under a curse by the sin of Adam and Eve. He knows that a Redeemer will come and will redeem all of creation and all of God's people with His great saving work. God promised to Eve that the child would crush the head of the serpent. And Job understood that to crush the head of the serpent is to destroy death, to remove the curse, and to atone for sin. Yes, God in His sovereignty may take everything from you. Everything. But your skin and bones. Yes, God in His sovereignty may even take your life. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, He promises that He will restore all things. In fact, He will give 20, 30, 100 times what you have lost. And even your skin and bones, He will renew, restore, return to you, clothed with glory. The glory of Jesus Christ Himself. Yes, this is the future hope through 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the future hope of our bodily resurrection. The future, the hope of a, a future hope is not lost on us, is it? That we have hope for the future, that as Christians, we know what is coming in the future. The Bible is very clear in its grand theme of God renewing all things in this world, reconciling to himself a world that has become clothed with darkness because of sin. That the work of Jesus Christ is to restore all things in this earth. And that one day we will be able to enjoy the fruits of Christ's work fully. But do you know that the enjoyment of Christ's work begins already now? Yes, one day will come the fulfillment, the consummation of all God's great and precious promises. But do you know that the fulfillment and consummation have already begun? Yes, as Lord's Day 16 records, our death is an entrance into eternal life. But do you know that eternal life begins already now? It does not begin just with death, but for the Christian, it has already begun. And if you are not a Christian, that it begins when you place your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. This is what our Lord Jesus makes very clear in John chapter 17. Let's turn there. John chapter 17 is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ before he goes to his death. And in that prayer in John 17, Jesus begins by asking the Father to glorify him. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. The Father's glory is directly tied to the glory of His Son. The Father's glory is directly tied to the glory of His Son. When we perceive, understand, and believe the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that's the glory of the Son that Jesus is talking about there. He's talking about His his death, His resurrection, the glory that is going to be given Him through His work for all believers for their salvation, when we understand and believe that, then we gain a deeper understanding of the character of the Father who sent Him. To understand the glory of Jesus Christ in giving up His life for us, we understand greater the glory. We see the glory of the Father. So we see God's glory as Jesus reveals in verse 3. And to see God's glory is nothing less than eternal life. And eternal life is all about knowing God. You see the connection there. When you understand what Christ has done for you in his death, you see his glory. When you see his glory, you see the glory of the Father who sent him.
And seeing God's glory is what eternal life is all about. Eternal life, then, is all about knowing God. Knowing what God has done in the sending of His Son. Knowing what His Son has done in order to bring glory to His Father. As one explainer has said, eternal life is not so much everlasting life, but is the personal knowledge of an everlasting God. So when you first understand and believe that Jesus Christ gave up His life for you, then you begin a journey that will never end. You begin the journey of knowing God. Knowing God. That God has sent His Son. That His Son has given up His life for you in order to bring glory to the Father. A journey of knowing the eternal God and growing in in knowledge of Him in every way. Of the love and justice that He has shown on the cross of His power and His mercy, of His greatness and His grace. Eternal life is not something we only look forward to in the future, brothers and sisters. It's something we experience already now. Eternal life is knowing God. And God made it possible for us to know Him through the work of His Son and by the power of His Holy Spirit. Now we come to the last point, as Isaiah prophesies an incomprehensible destination in Isaiah 60. To live in the now of eternal life is profound, transcendent, deeply comforting. Now add to this truth that God's, the truth that God's word records that one day faith will be sight and we will see him face to face. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 60, inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls on God's people to lift up the eyes of our faith and to see the reality that we will one day see with our own eyes as Job has testified and as we've learned of already. And what characterizes this eternal destination? Well, it is incomprehensible. The catechism expresses that in answer 58. I shall possess such perfect blessedness, which no eye, nor ear, nor heart has an experience of. A blessedness in which to praise God. And the point that the catechism is making is that there is nothing in our experience now that will compare, that compares to the experience, the unmixed joy and pleasure that we will have in the new heavens and the new earth. When all of God's work is complete. But not having a sense of the extent of the joy and pleasure that we will know in those days is not the same thing as not having a sense of the character of that experience. God's word in many places speaks about the character of that experience. But the thing is, it's of, it's of such an extent that we can't understand it. But still, we gain these glimpses, and Isaiah 60 is one such glimpse. What is going to characterize life in the new heavens and a new earth? Well, already at the first verse of chapter 6, Isaiah prophesies, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. That is certainly what will characterize life on the new heavens and a new earth. It will be a place where God's glory is all-encompassing and where, 
which is different than today, we're able to perceive it and to understand it and to praise God properly for it. Now we need for a moment to go back to John 17. When you talk about God's glory being everywhere, what is at the heart of God's glory? As Jesus revealed there in John 17, at the heart of God's glory is what He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, in forgiving sins and overcoming death. So this then creates the context for everything that will exist in the new heavens and the new earth. And let's look at verses 15 and 16. Everything will be greater there. Everything will be greater. I will make you the everlasting pride and joy of all generations. Verses 17 and 18 show that instead of bronze, bronze will be turned to gold, silver, and iron. Everything will be better than it is now. Further in verses 17 and 18, everyone will willingly and cheerfully submit themselves to peace and righteousness. The violence that characterizes this world will be gone. And love and praise for God will replace it. Verses 19 and 20. The glory of the Lord will bring light to the world at all times. There will be no night or darkness with which to cover our sins or engage in ungodly conduct, but it will be only God's glory all of the time. In verse 20b, the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more loss, no more grief. Can you imagine a life like that? No more heartbreak, no more disappointment, no more shame, no more fear. Why? Because the new heavens and the new earth are all about the full and complete experience of the work of Jesus Christ. And when His work is complete, there will be no more sin or death to contend with and the sorrow that it brings along. And so what will be the experience of the new heavens and the new earth? Well, do you know the experience of having the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ flood into your life as you grapple with with the realities of sin and death? You know that experience? You know when you're struggling with that that besetting sin, that sin that you, you always seem to be struggling with, the same one that you've struggled with for years. But you've once again followed temptation and you've sinned against your God, the God that you love. You've sinned against Him and you know what that means. It's a sin that you've struggled against time and time again and you thought that you were done with, but you weren't. And so how do you feel then? You feel helpless. You feel stupid. You feel dumb. You feel like a failure. You feel like, what kind of a Christian am I? But then at precisely that moment, 
your heart reaches out and grasps onto the completed work of Jesus Christ. In precisely that moment that you feel like a failure, you feel dumb, you feel like, what sort of a Christian am I? You recall that Christ died for sinners. That this is why he went to the cross, to redeem sinners. And you believe that his blood poured out there is sufficient to atone for, yes, even this sin. And all the others that you've committed. And you know that you are reconciled to God through him. That he is your father and that, yes, even now, you are his child. That experience is what it's like to live in the reality of Christ's work on the new heavens and a new earth, that experience will be full and complete. It will be all-encompassing. We will always feel that, that cleanliness, that thankfulness, that joy that comes to us at that moment. Or how about as we grapple with the realities of death? The disorientation of of death and grief and having lost a loved one. And what it is to move on in life without that person whom we love. But yet, when you have in that disorientation and in that pain and in that grief, when you have the, the joy of knowing that that person, they died in the Lord. They died in the certainty of Christ's death-conquering resurrection. That the Spirit was alive in their life. That That they had confidence of God's gift of eternal life. When you know, even as you struggle with grief, that for them, death has been gain. That begins to describe the blessedness of living in the fullness of God's glory, where sin and death have been finally and completely vanquished. And so, brothers and sisters, this is the comfort that the church possesses. This is the comfort that we ourselves have received from God's Word through the work of Christ, carried to us by the Holy Spirit. And so may the Father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, continue to comfort us and balm our pain and bless our lives with the comfort of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.